So I trust you've been welcomed amply, amply by now. I also trust you've had something to eat and you know where to put your head tonight. Uh, this is useful before one goes into contemplation of the universe. It's always nice to know where one puts one's head. So welcome to those who have arrived and welcome back to those who have stayed on from the last retreat. I'd like to introduce to the very far, we have Eowyn, who is our yoga teacher, to my right, Yuka, and to my left, Chris. I am a Kinjano, and we'll be, we'll be holding this course together. So we'll be doing everything to make you feel safe and to attend as much as we can to your needs. And uh, we don't have any alternative projects. This is what we do. So we'll be with you. We're not just kind of breathing in and then go play cards downtown or so. We'll, we are uh, we're very much part of this and, and keen to do this with you. So, retreats. A strange and artificial setup. Did you know that retreats were not that old? Yeah, they're actually barely a hundred years old. Sort of a short seven-day retreat. This is a, a strange quirk of history that it has shortened down to seven days. There are some earlier cases, some connections to the rainy season in uh, India and in Southeast Asia, where you know the rainy season means it's difficult to travel and monastic discipline uh, prohibits in fact, traveling during the three months of the rainy season for various reasons. It's, it's cumbersome to travel because the paths are muddy. The, the farmers don't like it if you walk around in the rice fields and destroy crops. And uh, it's more difficult to find food as an alms mendicant. So the Buddha's prescription to spend at least the three months of the rainy season in one place uh, is probably an early example of retreat. But in fact, the shortening of those three months to seven days or to ten days or so is a fairly recent uh, invention. Uh, and yet it is very useful. It is very powerful. It is uh, a strong signal in a world where attention is directed outward, where we struggle with distraction, where the implicit message is the good stuff that makes us happy is somewhere outside uh, that we make a concerted effort to find that good stuff inside. Yeah. It's also an acknowledgement that it is not easy to return the light, to return one's attention in an introspective fashion and um, begin to identify the processes of one's mind as a source of possible suffering and also of a promise of happiness if that suffering is understood and alleviated or brought to cessation. So retreats are uh, somewhat strange. You know, they, um, they try to make a really boring schedule. So we, we minimize your sensory input. We've tried talk with the kitchen to tone it down, but they never listen to us. So while <laughs> we, we preach modesty and renunciation and simplicity, the kitchen usually jives it up and tries to gain your appreciation, which generally you do. 
appreciate the kitchen here. So other than that, we're requesting that you abstain from entertaining yourself to create an atmosphere, a collective atmosphere of introspection. Um, that means we would request you, request you to not read and uh, not write. We would request you to um, definitely um, hand in your smartphone, at least one of your smartphones, to, <laughs> so that, we, that you are not tempted by this, uh, since we are all tempted by these devices that uh, seem to be so great at fragmenting our attention span and at uh, offering us objects of obsession. We would like some of that attentional focus to move away from a small screen to a, a bigger a bigger screen of the the fertile mind the fertile mind uh, in the project of cultivation yeah. there are many farming metaphors in early indian buddhism buddhist texts uh, because you know that was an obvious example of what people knew and lived in so these metaphors speak of cultivation or of calling into being this is this is the the buddhist word for meditation is calling into being so we will hope to do that it's not a secret where this comes from we have uh, the backdrop satipatthana teachings that of which there are many in uh, early buddhist texts and we translate some of these teachings over the days into uh, specific meditation instruction guided forms of uh, practicing together and also some of our reflections in the evening make use of the Satipatthana framework to uh, access the patterns of Buddhist psychology or the way Buddhist psychology identifies differing functions and processes of the mind. Our course is called Cultivation, Investigation, Contemplation. We hope to clarify some of what, these, what we mean by these terms and to gradually build up exercises that help to calm, to stabilize, to refine the mind, to sensitize the mind, and then we will shift the accent of those exercises in the course of the days to uh, touch into varying areas of mental functioning that uh, sometimes we screen out or studiously avoid or simply gloss over, and yet they have crucial functions which can be found and actually brought to better, smoother functioning if coupled with mindfulness. Mindfulness is, um, is a learned quality of mind. It doesn't happen on its own. Uh, mindfulness needs other people. So it's something like empathy or like, like language. We don't develop it on our own. It's not something that just happens. Evolution does not deliver mindfulness. And this is an important piece. Well, evolution does a great job at delivering involuntary attention. Uh, mindfulness is uh, something somewhat different. We will make this distinction clear in the coming days. But it needs human beings to cultivate mindfulness. You need people who treat you mindfully. You need people who model mindfulness, you need people who help you when you begin 
to develop mindfulness and you need people to keep practicing mindfulness because that's the really bad news you're actually losing it if you don't keep doing it yeah. so we we have quite a program for you in the next coming days you won't get it all tonight don't worry this is um, just a little sketch uh, retreats have uh, a few features, they are basically about safety. We make transparent rules, we have a schedule, and obviously the whole thing hinges on you turning up. So, as it hinges on you turning up in your life, it hinges on you turning up for our sittings, for our instructions, for basically the pattern that life here involves as a, as a group. Meditation retreats also have something strangely collective. I been doing this for a while and I'm always baffled how distinct groups are. Yeah. After a very short time, groups have a very distinct, unique flavor. So I would like you to widen your notion of meditation to include all those people here. Meditation is not just your cushion, your turf, your territory. So please widen your concept of meditation to all those people here and to everything that happens from now on that this is somehow part of what you think is your practice. Yeah? Some of the ambience we are going to build is obviously collective, so we all share in the responsibility of cultivating an atmosphere of friendliness, an atmosphere of uh, support, an atmosphere of warmth, and yet, at the same time, we're trying to not pull out each other's attention. Uh, I wouldn't want to enforce uh, the suggestion of no eye contact. That's um, There's something too, too stark about this. For many years I've done this, and I, I actually would like you to be able to not seek that out, and yet, at the same time, not avoid it either. Yeah? So... Do please hold each other in this few days as practitioners in in warmth, in friendliness. Yeah. And it's obviously difficult to attend to one's own process when we have a training that means our attention keeps going outwards. So it's difficult to stay with one's own process. And one way to help each other is by not pulling each other out. Yeah. Obviously. A speech is a powerful one to do that, but uh, there are other ways we can draw attention on us. And so I'd like you to uh, minimize these forms and help others by being examples of being here, of applying yourself to these exercises, being silent, uh, silent uh, examples of practice. It incredibly normalizes to see other human beings doing this practice. This is precious. We're alone enough, you know, in our self-concepts, often in our lives, on our cushions, we're alone. It feels alone. Um, and to see and to be with others that share and aspirations that take up a practice can be deeply, deeply inspiring. So I would like you to hold each other dear, although in silence. I would like to encourage you to turn up for the respective sittings and to apply yourself to that schedule. I would also like you to make a promise so that you don't let yourself down. Even if not happens what you 
would like to happen even if you find yourself struggling, even if you find this is not what you signed up for, I would like you to make a promise right now to yourself that whatever happens, you're going to stand by yourself. You're not going to attack yourself. You're not going to judge yourself. You're not going to incriminate yourself. You're not going to blame yourself. You're not going to act out against yourself. So you're going to hold yourself dear as a friend. You're going to be your best friend in this. That's important. It's important to make that commitment. So often meditators uh, end up blaming themselves. Once you begin to become aware of what your mind actually does, uh, you find that sometimes disheartening. Uh, it doesn't just take wisdom to grow; it also takes a lot of compassion. When wisdom begins to grow, to s when you see what you begin, what you do, and sometimes you need a lot of compassion to see see yourself doing what you're doing. So please make a commitment that your loyalty, that your solidarity, that your heart is with that being whose aspirations it is to wake up yeah, for, this, for this week. This is, this is important. You will not miss, you can't miss yourself in this practice. Sometimes, you know, bits and pieces turn up that you didn't expect and I would like you to Welcome these pieces, even though they may not have been on your list of what's going to happen in this retreat. So be prepared that uh, there are other lists of things that come up, and I would like you to make the space for those things. Uh, you're in the right movie. Yeah. Sometimes the idea is I need to get out of the movie I'm in, in to be to getting in a, into a movie that I can practice. But the movie you're getting is the right movie. Even though you may not have chosen this movie, or you may not like this movie, or you may think this movie is something, uh, I, you know, somebody else's movie, um, this is probably the right movie. It's the movie you have to work with, the movie you have to practice from. So uh, make some promise to yourself that you're going to be meeting respectfully whatever arises from your heart, from your mind. Yeah. Good. Um, that is me for the moment. I pass on. Yeah, have a good retreat. So I'd also like to welcome all of you. Uh, I am just appreciating very much the fact that all of you have taken the time to come here, you have made all the, the effort, you have put in the money to make this possible to come here and to dedicate yourself to this practice during this week. It's really um, just so precious if pre people do this and it takes so many conditions as you know that this is at all possible. Maybe you had to rearrange your work or see that someone can take off your children during your absence or I don't know, whatever. But it, it's really a sign of a commitment to um, come here on retreat and to give ourselves this gift, really. And especially coming here and not knowing what is going to expect us, as Akin Chanu said, because 
if you've sat retreats and I know you're experienced meditators, you know, we never know what is going to expect us. Each retreat is different and it's always a little uh, unsettling at the beginning of a retreat. I find that I don't know what is going to come up for me during this retreat. So it takes a commitment and a kind of openness and willingness to really meet what is going to come up for us. So we are really stepping out of our normal life, of our normal busyness. We are putting away all the everyday concerns in our life. And this is really an old tradition. You know, of course, yes, this format is quite young, but since the time of the Buddha, practitioners did go to the forest and sit under a tree to do their practice. So this is a very old and honorable tradition to seek the seclusion, to withdraw from the hostel and bustle of our lives in order to be able to practice in a quiet and silent environment with less demands and distractions. And in such a space of stillness, we can listen more deeply, we can see more deeply, we can sense more deeply, and we can come home to ourselves and grow in our understanding, in our opening of the heart. And although we do leave behind our normal life, you know, with all the responsibilities and our relationships and our projects and our normal concerns in order to being able to practice fully. Um, we do this not just for us, as you may know. We also do it for all those we have left behind. I find it is actually such an act of sanity to sometimes step out just of the normal wheels and to take the time and space to cultivate this mind and heart. And if we have cultivated some calm, some understanding, some kindness, this is really a gift that we can then bring back again to our beloved ones. So in this way, yes, we are stepping out and yet at the same time we are still and always in a deep connection with those at home. Being on retreat means that we can also step out of our normal roles and responsibilities, um, our private or professional roles. I find it always such a relief. You know, you don't have to be anyone here. You don't have to look good. You don't have to do very much except from, you know, some work meditation, some yogi job and... Um, bringing your attention back, but there are not many demands on, on us. And so we can really relax into just being here within this retreat structure, this uh, schedule that Akinshanu mentioned, and have the, the, the possibility to give ourselves fully to this practice. And one part of going into seclusion 
into such a retreat is really the practice of noble silence. So this means we want to intentionally reduce the amount of stimulation, of distraction, the amount of being pulled into stories, simply by not engaging in verbal or nonverbal communication, uh, except from the interviews. And um, I know this can be a at times difficult because we're not maybe not so used to it and especially for those of you who are here with a friend or with a partner we would really strongly encourage you that you maybe say goodbye to each other tonight and then just give each other the space to really do the practice and please know you know we teachers are here so if anything happens to your partner, you can rest assured that we will be uh, available for those who, are, uh, who need some care. So especially for those who are you know, caring about someone, see if you can stay with your own practice and just trust that this container is safe and that we will do our best to take care of everybody. Um, so this noble silence includes not speaking to each other, not writing notes to each other. It's okay to take notes during the talks, um, not to text, not to check your emails in between. And this is actually a very important point that I want to stress. Um, and it is increasingly important the aspect of renouncing electronic devices being on retreat. Um, we see more and more how these smartphones are such an addiction for so many people. For us, we, we just see this pull, you know, to go and just check, uh, has something come in, some message or so. They constantly promise us some, some entertainment, some stimulation. And in a way, if, if we don't really make this commitment to turn off this device, to just put it away, we are not really letting go of this attachment to our normal world. It's really, in a way, um, breaking the container of this retreat because we are not really protecting this uh, secluded space. So in this sense, we really would like to urge you to commit to this practice of renouncing this, these electronic devices, um, even if it may be hard, um, just to turn them completely off, not to look at them before the end of the retreat. And as uh, support for this commitment, we do offer, and I'm sure that Rodney has mentioned that, we do offer the possibility that you can hand in your smartphones and the office will take care of them and you can get them back at the end of the retreat. But it is, uh, in a way, a beautiful symbolic way of doing this uh, renunci renunciation in a very conscious way. There is just something so, you know, seemingly 
innocuous about these small <laughs> devices. It seems like nothing. Just to quickly check, you know, the weather, or we use them as our alarm clocks, but then we see that a text message has come in. And we have just heard it again and again that people inadvertently, they suddenly, they saw some message and this could really break the retreat. So um, please, um, yeah, just... See if you can act uh, in this way, letting go, practicing, not holding on to this uh, device, just put it away. Yeah, it is really a way of protecting this retreat container. So I hope you will still arrive um, tonight that you can easefully come into this retreat container and I wish you a wonderful and fruitful week of practice. Thank you. Switching it on helps. <clears throat> so, yeah, a really warm welcome to each of you. Yeah. It's a great pleasure to be settling in here with you for these days. And, uh, again, congratulations on making it here, because uh, it can be a mission, right? Uh, and now that you're here, just to have that sense of of settling in the body, you know, even as you're sitting here now, just, just feeling that, that contact with ground as the, the kind of orientation that enables your, your nervous system, your, your heart, your, your body really to land and know that you're in a safe and a good place uh, for these days. There's something... Uh, just also about, you know, all of us are guests here and, you know, retreat isn't something that's kind of delivered from the front. You know, it's something that we, we create together. Um, so there's a way in which we, you know, at the start of a retreat, we can all welcome each other into the space. So you might just like r- right now just to, just to look around the, the room and just a sense of, okay, here we are, fellow travelers, you know, just kind of, sense of well-wishing, appreciation that we've all made it here. We're going to be supporting each other through this, this week, you know, from our, our very different backgrounds and cultures and uh, family backgrounds and uh, kind of histories and genders and sexual orientations and all the many other diversities that are here in this field together, just a sense of welcome, right? Uh, really, that sense of uh, companionship can be such a resource in the experience of retreat, can't it? You know, the warmth, the friendliness. This is this is really uh, in this path. This is really integral to the practice. 
So I hope you have a sense of being welcome here. It's an amazing place, this, isn't it? You know, those, many of you have been here before. Some of you are here for the first time. You're in for a treat. <laughs> it's an incredibly supportive environment for this practice. Many thousands of people have sat just where you're sitting doing this. And I'm always so touched by the sense of care and kindness that's here. And that really supports this sense of safety that Akinchino and Yuka have both mentioned. It's so fundamental to this practice, this possibility of awareness and an opening of our heart in greater understanding and compassion, the sense of safety. And it's, I think, something really to consciously orient to at the start of a retreat. It's, isn't it rare and precious that kind of a hundred plus human beings come together and so consciously commit to a, an ethos of safety and kindness? I mean, that's pretty, pretty unusual. <laughs> in our world. And, you know, as we do that, we, we both benefit from this lineage of that commitment over all these years that IMS has been here. And we contribute to it by, by the attitude that we cultivate and offer the way our sense of, of, of intention to, to kindness and, and non-harming also helps to make and support the retreat for ourselves and for others. So, you know, as you land and, you know, feel your body sitting and just kind of breathe that sense of, okay, here I am. (laughs) Just letting the sense of, okay, I'm in a safe and a good place. Really letting that, uh, letting your, your cells, your heart, Taste that, know that, be nourished by that. And, you know, this, the emphasis on ethics and kindness, as far as we know, the Buddha was the first Indian teacher really to place ethics as absolutely integral to this path, to the path of awakening. Not some kind of optional extra, not something that was just kind of irrelevant, but absolutely the kind of heart of the training. This sense of kindness, goodwill, non-harming, generosity, care, friendship. And, you know, just over these days to feel that alignment that comes when we, we orient to those ancient principles, those timeless but ever-relevant principles of non-harming. Yeah. And, and most of you will be familiar with the kind of beautifully concise way in which the Buddha summarized the kind of ethical orientation in these five precepts, which, which really are ways of embodying and practicing and uh, opening to the, the gift of uh, 
awakening and relating, awaking in a kind of relational way with life. And so this first principle of, of non-harming, which, which in a certain way summarizes them all and is part of what the Buddha described. One of the greatest gifts we can give ourselves and others is the gift of fearlessness. That sense, okay, f- folk don't need to be afraid of me. <laughs> you know? Living beings don't need to be afraid of my intentions because my intentions are, are kind. It's, it's precious. It's profound. And uh, this is, as you will probably have noticed, this is insect season here at IMS. Um, And uh, I always remember on one of my first retreats, the teacher saying on the first night, you know, an insect or an animal's life is as precious to it as yours is to you. Whew. Well, that's a reflection. What is it to bring a sense of care to how we relate to creatures great and small over these days. This doesn't mean that you don't remove the ticks. (laughs) We we take Rodney's good advice. But we can at least practice an ethos of not willing harm. And, And in the way we relate to each other and to the other lives non-human lives that we share this space with. Just a sense of, of kindness, of goodwill. Yeah. The second precept is, is about taking, not, not taking what's not offered. And all of these precepts, as you know, have, have a kind of wholesome cultivation as, as an aspect to them. And this, this cultivation of generosity... And such a beautiful, this place runs on generosity. <laughs> and, and by how we are here and how we do our work period and how we do our practice and how we relate to each other, there's, there's a chance to be part of this great stream of generosity that has carried uh, these teachings and carried the, this uh, practice to us. The third precept around refraining from intentional sexual activity for these days. You know, not because our sexuality is, is somehow taboo or not an integral part of who we are and of this path. We know it can be you know, a profound source of connection and love and, and joy, as well as difficulty. You know? And there's such a wisdom in having a time where we consciously collect these energies. We, we practice a kind of freedom from compulsion, a sense of simplifying, calming, gathering, that sense of not intruding, not kind of reaching, reaching over somebody else's boundaries in any way. It's part of the kind of energetic container that we uh, create as we do this practice the energies of the body and the heart-mind collected for the purposes of awakening into greater understanding and compassion. Can you hear okay, by the way? Is that okay? 
the, the next precept around, around speech. And of course, most of the time we'll be in silence, but we will have small groups and uh, we'll also have some one-to-ones. Uh, and just taking care of how we speak that, I don't know about you, I find this the most difficult of the precepts. <laughs> Uh, and that what it is really to practice a kind of embodied presence and honor the presence that's prior to speech, honor the awareness that's prior to speech. That's part of the opportunity of a retreat. And of course, all these precepts have an internal as well as an external, and it's probably worth acknowledging that over the next seven days, we're going to have the full range of thoughts, right? You know, the kind of internal speech. Can we bring the same kindness, the same commitment to non-harming to our internal thought and speech world as we're encouraged to do to our more external relating? Feels like there's a certain stillness in the room. Can you feel it? I notice the kind of, maybe this is experienced practitioners group. <laughs> uh, and for me, the, the final precept around kind of refraining from intoxication is also speaks to that real valuing of our capacity for clarity and collectedness. There's something so precious about our sensitivity, isn't there? You know, in, in many ways, this is a practice is a cultivation of sensitivity and and just to honor that by not taking intoxicants. It doesn't mean we don't take our, our medical prescription drugs. But Again, we can notice that we can be intoxicated with all kinds of things, external and internal. And sometimes just honoring the, the, the silence and the spaciousness as a support for our practice feels like a kind of returning to a a basic clarity that is a kind of birthright. So as we we welcome each other into this uh, space, into this time together, precious time, uh, just that sense of drawing on and contributing to to an ethos of kindness and friendliness and non-harming. Really hope that you feel supported over these days. Please, please keep in contact with us. Uh, let us know if you have needs that we can support. And I really wish you a, a blessed, a blessed time here. It's a, yeah, it's really fruitful and nourishing and uh, time of blessings. It's really good to be with you. Yeah, it is. It's really nice to be here. Is that, is that, are you hearing? Okay, in the back? Yes, thank you. Julie, I appreciate it. Um, so we thought it would perhaps be helpful for all of you just to put the voice of the 
mindful movement person in the room this evening, which on this retreat is me. Um, Very, very happy to do that. Uh, It's really nice to see all of you, and I uh, um, echo the welcomes from from my colleagues and also would just express appreciation for being here with my colleagues as well. It's... this is indeed a very special place and uh, we have a very rare opportunity to practice together. So it's nice to see many of you who look like um, dear friends on the path to me, folks I've uh, sat with, practiced with, had the opportunity to uh, share yoga practices with. Uh, We'll give you a chance to settle in for a while, a couple of days here. And then on Wednesday, we'll, I'll begin to offer both a chair uh, session of yoga practice for those who maybe can't get downstairs and uh, a more general session for those who have a more general situation. Uh, and we'll do that really in a way that I hope will be very simpatico with the rest of the retreat and very integrated with the intentions that have been uh, described uh, by my colleagues already, and which I'm sure will be uh, continued to unfold. Yeah. So, wishing you well, and looking forward to spending the time together. Good. Let's uh, close your eyes for a moment. Let us quietly acknowledge the many images, thoughts, bodily senses, maybe a a fatigue after a full day, travel, information, checking into a new place. Uh, Acknowledge eagerness or dread or curiosity, inspiration, ambition, that would be the moment to acknowledge what you feel, what you bring here. And then just let us take a moment to soften, sifting through what's there, what conditions we meet when we turn inwards and adding to this the aspiration of softening. Softening edges, softly entering into the organism's felt senses as it sits here, acknowledging weight, acknowledging differing tones in the body, parts that are permeable, parts that seem more solid and resistant, parts that may feel naughty, parts that are nice and soft and resonant. (laughs) 
So seek some of the somatic echo of what Chris spoke of. You know, arriving at a place where it's good, where you're going to be looked after, where it's safe, where you're surrounded by people whose aspirations you may share, by people whose motives to come here are good and wholesome. And allow your body to actually feel that. So, that begins with surrendering your weight to the ground beneath you, trusting your sitting contra uh, contraption, cushion or bench or chair or whatever you use. Just make yourself aware that you don't actually need to carry all this weight, that you can just pass it on to your sitting construction, to the floor beneath you. You acknowledge something of your alignment, a midline, this paradox of being both relaxed and upright at the same time, an activity that takes a muscular effort just to be upright, to stay upright. Often we're not conscious of that effort, and yet we can consciously release unnecessary effort. So bringing ourselves into balance, feeling something of the equipoise of a meditation posture, and then letting the rhythm of the breath gradually fill, move outward from that midline. Is this enough? Could this be enough? Just feeling my center, feeling a body that is breathing, feeling a heart that beats, establishing a deep and kindly listening. Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion, listens to the sounds of the world. Doesn't believe all the sounds of the world, he's not naive, you know, doesn't take any, everything at face value, but he, he listens. And while his grammatical gender is masculine, the depictions of his uh, appearance let us know that he is not just masculine. There's a female form of him as well, called Kuan Yin. So the Bodhisattva of compassion, in his masculine and in her female form, uh, listens to the sounds of the world. So let us be that Bodhisattva of compassion. So let us listen to the sounds of this body, to the sounds of this mind to the sounds of our life for a moment, from a kindly, caring, infinitely patient place. Not fixing, not refuting, not following through, just deeply 
kindly listening. Listening with the with the breath coming, the breath going. Good, we have begun. I'm glad we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow morning for sitting instructions after breakfast and the mindful work period. Yeah? Okay. Good night. <laughs>